Thanks for listening. If you'd like to schedule a one-on-one coaching with Dr. Lodi, please visit drsudliff.com. I am an American board certified OBGYN, a mom, a Muslim, and I'm talking about sex. This is the Muslim Sex Podcast. Welcome to the Muslim Sex Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Salaf Lodi, and this episode is everything you need to know about uh, coaching and specifically sex and intimacy coaching. I'm here today with Dr. Stockwell, and I'm so excited to have her on with me on the podcast. But before I get into it, I just want to make something very clear is that we are not giving any type of medical or religious advice. So if you have any concerns about your health, Uh, please speak with your medical provider. And if you have any questions about your religion, please speak with your family, neighborhood, religious leader. And this is the Muslim Sex Podcast because I just happen to be a Muslim woman that talks about sex. So Dr. Stockwell, so happy to have you on. And if you could please uh, let our listeners and viewers know who you are, maybe you can give us a little bit about your background and what you do. Absolutely. So I started medical school in 1993 and was so excited to practice medicine. I trained as a family doctor. I met my husband the first week of medical school and really the first 10 years of our relationship, we were medical students and then in residency training and we also got married and I had my first child after my third year of medical school, my second just before my internship. So the first 10 years of our life were very, very busy. And then we started to have more time. We had weekends off. We had the opportunity to connect. And I discovered what I guess every grown-up person in a committed relationship now knows. It's not just time that you need in order to have a really fulfilling, intimate relationship and wonderful sex that's like the poets describe. It's not just time that's needed. And so eventually, I'm I'm giving a much longer answer, but this is the context for any other question you might have, that eventually I went really on a journey for myself. I, I knew all of the anatomy and physiology. I understood a lot of the psychology, but that wasn't everything that I needed to be able to have experiences with my husband that I wanted to be having. So I did an extremely in-depth training in sensuality and sexuality, which was both for lay people and doubled as a coach training. And at the time, I didn't even know what a coach was. That's not why I was there. But because I'm curious, I thought I'll just check out the teaching lab and see what they're doing there. And I just felt completely at home. And so I learned all kinds of things for my own 26-year marriage and have been serving couples in how to create more intimacy on every level ever since. That is awesome. So, well, I'm excited to know what uh, what were the pearls that you learned? What was it that sparked your interest? What is it that you saw in the lab that you were like, wow, I need to be doing this? Well, interestingly, when I did coaching for the first time, the feedback that I got back was that I felt um, my, my 
co-student who was a practice client basically told me that I seemed disconnected. And I found that shocking because as a physician, my bedside manner, I was caring, you know, I knew how to hold someone's hand when I had nothing else to offer. Like I went into medicine because of, as, uh, you know, to be able to use certain skills in being with other human beings. And so I found it kind of shocking. But then I realized that as a physician, I was used to holding who I am back from the conversation. Inherently, that's part of being a good professional, to listen, have all of my attention on my patient's experience when I'm tired, when I'm happy, when I'm emotionally drained. My goal is not to bring that, but to really make room to honor the patient's experience. And that's how we can come up with a diagnosis and a plan. And in this practice coaching session, what I understood is how important it was to have connection with my client. If I'm going to be talking about something as personal as sex, as personal as pleasure and how two people touch one another or avoid touching one another, it's not the time to be held back professional, clinical, and academic. That is not what serves. Sure, it's very important to have a lot of information, but it's in a relationship where trust is built and we can expand on things that typically my clients aren't talking about with anybody else. And that was a gem for me, both in terms of being able to facilitate transformation in my clients, and it also opened me up to healing and discovering how in order to practice medicine well, I had somehow become quite disconnected with aspects of myself. And so becoming a coach, I have facilitated transformation and really helped couples connect in exquisite, sexy ways but I've also really integrated and healed something in myself that I never really realized was disconnected. Wow, that is amazing. So, so how did you find that um, healing? What, what were the things that you practiced or what was it that you noted in patients or clients? Did you bring what you learned for yourself and about yourself to your clients? Yes. Yeah, so what I learned, I bring to my clients and I have to say, I've learned a tremendous amount from my clients. So maybe I'll give a few examples of both. One thing which I'll say is this was actually the very first couple that I coached. They had a committed relationship. They were both upstanding citizens, good people who were caring and kind to one another, I thought. And then when we are in a very safe space, I heard how she was talking to him and it was disrespectful, not, not mean. It was more subtle than that, but it was clear that she thought he just wasn't capable of being the man she wanted. And he didn't look insulted or offended. He was just used to it. And I remember thinking to myself, I can't believe she's talking to him that way. And just a nanosecond later, I realized, oh, that's how I talk to my husband too. And 
There are so many ways in which, of course, women need to be respected more. But I think at least in North America, I'll say, we have gotten used to a kind of fundamental disrespect towards our men that is just accepted. And I, since that happened, really cleaned up how I speak with my husband with excellent results. And I have been able to graciously and without judgment guide my clients who are women to speak in a way that inspires more of what they actually want from their husbands. So that's one example. Does that speak to you? Yeah. You know, I'm just thinking that that is very insightful, right? To, to realize that, you know, just the way, and it makes sense, right? But um, it's not something that uh, we think about because oftentimes we get so distracted and we're so busy that uh, we forget that, you know, the way that we talk to somebody really impacts them and will get us a certain result, right? And it may not be the result we want, but, you know, perhaps we have to look inward. Yes. And so one of the things that I now say to clients and sometimes in talks I give is it's so important to prioritize connection over content. In other words, it's very easy to get carried away and really focus on the specifics of what we want to communicate, focusing on the content. But that is much less likely to, at least in the long term, get us what we want if in the process we're not really tending the connection, how it feels between us while we're having this conversation, how it feels between us while we're having this conversation is going to actually have much more impact than any specific content that we negotiate in the context of an overall healthy relationship with loving people in the situation where there's toxicity or abuse and most of what I'm going to share today doesn't pertain. So I just want to be really clear. This isn't going to work in every situation, but where the relationship is fundamentally healthy, there are two people who are kind and considerate to the best of their ability, then what I'm saying is extremely important. Sure, sure. I'm excited to learn what were the other things. Well, one of the other ones that came to mind is that I started noticing actually what was different in how I practice medicine versus how I coach couples. And one of the things is that, as I said before, being a good physician has basically meant ignoring my own experience. There are lots of times when I've needed to work when there was no time to eat or use the bathroom, when there might be something going on with a patient that reminded me of something sad in my own life. I just have needed to be more stoic, be more professional. And that is part of being a good doctor to be there fully for the patient. When it comes to coaching my clients, I'm very glad to have all of those skills intact, but I find that with tender topics like emotional intimacy and sexuality and sensuality that can mean body image, insecurity, all of these tender topics, I'm able to facilitate 
healing, growth, transformation, and give people the tools they've come to receive through being more connected with them. So what does that mean? It means I'm never ignoring my own internal experience while I'm coaching. I'm noticing if maybe something seems a little bit uncomfortable, either the content or I need to shift my posture. There's a way in which I'm using my own experience as a source of information instead of only using what the clients are saying or their body language as a source of information. I'm using, I kind of think of it as using my own soul as a tuning fork. Like it helps me know which direction to go. I'm not sure if that is vague or not, but the reason that I'm choosing to share that is this is also something that I often coach clients to do. Here's a scenario in which it might come up. Let's say there's a couple and they're having an argument. Actually, I'll use this example. I have a couple that I coached a year ago and they're in business together and they have a lot of staff. And so anytime the staff asks the husband, where's your wife? He immediately tells them or he starts becoming very concerned that he doesn't know where she is. She, on the other hand, identifies as a professional. She's not there as his wife. She's there as a very successful entrepreneur who doesn't want someone keeping tabs on her. She knows that if it weren't her husband, he wouldn't necessarily presume he'd know where she is. So this is a cause of a lot of arguments between the two of them. So I said to him, when the staff say, where is your wife? Do you ever consider saying, I'm not sure? He had never considered that. His idea of being a good husband is that he should always know where his wife is, whether it's a personal or a professional context. But in guiding him to notice what he was experiencing himself, it gave him a lot more freedom and choice in how he was going to navigate that, which meant that the two of them didn't end up arguing about this anymore. So that was an example. He wasn't practicing medicine. He wasn't doing anything like what we're talking about. And they weren't talking about sex, but it's an example of how his ignoring his own inner experience, his own thought process led to discord in the relationship, which then had consequences. When he paid attention to his own experience, new things were possible. It's certainly true also when it comes literally to sex, many women are conditioned to really be focused on what their lovers are experiencing. I'm going to mostly talk heteronormatively because those are the majority of the clients I coach. So women who during sex, more than 50% of their attention is on what they infer the experience is going to be like for their men. That only goes so far in really sustaining passion and sexual satisfaction throughout a long-lasting relationship. It is essential for that woman to put more than 50% of her attention on what she's actually feeling 
in her body and in her soul and to be able to have that contribute to the experience they're sharing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So what are the most common complaints that you usually get from, say, clients? What do they usually seek help with when they reach out to you? My clients, by and large, have marriages that the people around them think are great. Many people look up to them. They're high-functioning, professionally successful, and it looks like everything is good. But it's not when you dig down deeper they're either not having sex or it's infrequent and or the quality of it is not satisfying to both of them. They typically are putting their attention into all kinds of other things, the children, work, friends, yoga classes, whatever, because these are people who know how to problem solve in their lives. When there's a medical issue in the family or a parenting issue or choosing a school for their kids or um, any kind of professional concern or financial concern, they know how to look at the problem, use their skills to identify what needs to be changed and take action to make it happen. But for couples who are successful in this way, it is very complicated to realize that something as important as sex and intimacy is something where they don't actually know how to problem solve. They can't use their usual intellectual skills and ability to take action to fix this. And so I guide them on how to do that. Because having a fantastic relationship is a learnable skill. So If people don't have a fantastic relationship, and I mean in terms of communication, emotional intimacy, as well as sex and sensuality and erotic energy, if you don't have a fantastic relationship, it's because you never learned how. And when it comes to learning things like calculus or how to dose medication or even good grammar, We need to use our prefrontal cortex. But when it comes to relationship and even how to touch and be touched, by and large, we learn that through imitation. All mammals learn through imitation, and we human beings are certainly mammals in the realm of relationship. So I'm really very motivated to provide education for people who want it and haven't otherwise received it. That's great. So if you were to say you were talking to a client and they wanted to know, you know, often I hear, um, how do I improve my relationship, right? Or how do I create that emotional intimacy um, that I desire between my spouse or partner? You know, what, what suggestions would you give them? Well, if I'm talking to just a woman, I'm going to start with desire. What is it that you want? Because so many women are so used to taking care of everybody else. They know exactly what their husband wants for dinner. They know what their kids want. They have everything in hand. And they're not used to asking themselves what they want or honoring it. And really, in order to improve anything, 
you've got to have some sense of how things are now and at least a sense of the direction you want them to go. And just saying, I want things to be better, that's not enough. That's not what I'm talking about. Is it that you want more affection? Is it that you want to be listened to more? Is it that you want him to open up to you more? Like, what is it that you want? I actually have a whole course. It's it's not expensive. It's $49 just for women. It's called Desires Awaken the Woman Within because we need to reconnect with what we actually want. Now, if I'm talking with a couple or a woman who wants to pursue this, the starting place is so simple. It's surprisingly simple. And that is to cultivate curiosity. If you think back to the experience of being in love, it includes being so curious. Where does that scar come from? And what kind of vegetables did your mother cook when you were a child? And what did you want to be when you grew up? And if we didn't live in this country, what country would you want to live in? And what are your favorite movies? Like we just are filled with curiosity. And then the relationship becomes settled, we're more familiar, things are more stable, and that is beautiful. That is one of the wonderful benefits of a long-lasting relationship is the stability and the familiarity, but it's really unfortunate when it comes at the cost of curiosity where we're no longer asking questions, and that basically leads to a very subtle form of disconnection and contributes to what I describe as the conflict-free, passion-free relationship. Because we all assume that we're going to continue to grow professionally, financially. We have all kinds of goals. But when it comes to sex, when it comes to the relationship, people often kind of forget how much growth can happen there and how it has to be shared. Otherwise, your partner doesn't know. So with cultivating curiosity, it's really just about asking open-ended questions and listening generously to the answer. And it depends on your relationship. You can start with something whimsical, something serious, something spiritual, something sexual. It just depends whatever is easiest to start with. So some examples of questions which people enjoy starting with are, if you could have dinner with any celebrity alive or dead, who would it be and what would you ask them? Or if you could be president of any country, which one would it be and what policies would you implement? Or what was the highlight of your week last night? Or if everyone would be taken care of and we could just drop everything and go on a vacation, you and me tomorrow, where would you like to go? Or is there any challenge that you're wrestling with that you haven't shared with me yet. You can also ask, of course, about sexual fantasies or other kinds of experiences. It's really just what do you want to know that your partner hasn't shared with you? Because just no matter what they say, the interest and the opening 
creates emotional intimacy. All right. I agree with you so much. I think that exactly what you said, being in a long lasting relationship, you know, you forget. Uh, and I think that happens with everyone, including myself, is that you you become so familiar that you stop to become curious and everything is almost like you're just kind of running through the motions and you forget that there's another person that has feelings or, you know, wants and desires and, and um, you just run through your day, right? They're just another person that you're taking care of or that you're in charge of. And you ask them the usual questions, but not the important ones. Yeah, because really we all yearn to feel seen, to feel heard, to feel loved and respected. And just being curious and asking an open-ended question, meaning not a question where the answer is yes or no, but one where you just don't know what the response will be and any response is a right one, it builds more connection. I gave a talk once where I talked about this very thing. And I heard from a woman who was there who'd been married for 31 years who had a good relationship. And she told me she went home and asked her partner some of these questions. And the two of them felt closer than they'd felt in years. They didn't experience disconnection. It just brought them closer. And since your podcast is so beautifully named, The Muslim Sex Podcast, I want to say that from my perspective, when it comes to long-lasting relationships and marriages, basically everything which isn't sex functions like foreplay. It either brings you closer together a little or a lot, or it pushes you further apart a little or a lot. So when we're talking about emotional intimacy, it is beautiful on its own, but if your motivation is to have better sex, it's also really important to focus on the emotional intimacy because if if you don't feel seen and heard and cared about in the day-to-day, we human beings, especially women, do not have some magic switch that can be flipped on when we get to the bedroom and then be fully present and self-expressed and open our hearts and open our legs because now we're all there if during the day we feel dehydrated, unseen, like we're just taking care of people and going through the motions, feeling taken for granted. Those two scenarios just don't match up in the same lifetime. So anytime a person is kind and caring and interested and brings intention and attention to a spouse, that helps just make good sex a little bit more possible. Absolutely. And oftentimes what I'll say to clients is that, you know, whatever go, whatever is going on outside of the bedroom is also happening within the bedroom. Yes, yes, yes. You can't separate the two. And I think that is on par with what you are saying. You know, if you don't feel seen or heard, then the, the emotional intimacy, the arousal, the desire is not going to be there. That's right. Because it doesn't feel like it's you that they're having sex with. If you haven't right. felt like 
you're treated as the individual you are outside the bedroom. Right, right, absolutely. So maybe, you know, oftentimes I get questions about decreased desire and arousal, and I find that um, for a lot of my patients um, and the studies that I have read on on this especially have spoken a lot about mindfulness. So tell me, what do you feel about that? You know, I completely agree, although I don't often tend to use the word mindfulness, mostly because mindfulness in our culture evokes a sense of peacefulness and zen and calm and nothing is going to disturb us. And when it comes to having sex, we want access to that but we want to have fire and passion and vibrancy and movement and building energies, which are not typically what people think of when they hear the word mindfulness, which has a very tame quality. So I don't use it, but I do completely agree and see played out everything in those studies. So this is how I'll refer to the same phenomenon, which is. Mindfulness typically is used to calm stress. And that's why we aim for a kind of peaceful Zen. But the way that that happens is by learning to focus our attention and to direct it where we want it to go. And mindfulness in the context of sex absolutely is incredible with respect to choosing where we put our attention and staying focused there. So something which is an example of not being mindful is while you're having sex, thinking about what you're going to cook for dinner tomorrow and thinking about whether or not you look too fat from such and such an angle and thinking about whether or not kids are about to wake up and hear you. Those are examples of not being mindful, but it's not about meditating so those things don't bother you. It's about bringing your attention to the very particular sensations in your body. How does your face feel? How do your hands feel? How do your feet feel? Do you want more pressure? Do you want less pressure? Do you want to be moving faster? Do you want to be moving slower? to really bring your attention to what your body is experiencing and breathe deeply. And that creates some incredible, not very Zen, mindful sexual firecrackers. (laughs) I agree. So, you know, if I'm, uh, I'd like for the viewers and people listening to be able to reach out to you and, um, you know, if they're trying to find out where you are, where can they find you? Thank you for that question. So alexandrastockwell.com is my website. And from there, you can find my book, which is called Uncompromising Intimacy. You can also listen to my podcast, The Intimate Marriage Podcast. I'm on 
Facebook and Instagram, and I'm getting going on TikTok, you're welcome to DM me in any of those places, as well as through the contact page on my website. Again, it's alexandrastockwell.com, and I will personally respond. I love being in dialogue with anyone who wants to talk about any of the kinds of things we've addressed. That's excellent. Can you tell me a little bit about your book, Uncompromising Intimacy? Yes, I will. So the most common relationship advice that is given in the Western world and perhaps the whole world, I just don't have reason to know, the most common relationship advice that is given is that if you want a great marriage, you have to learn to compromise. Compromise is the name of the game. But in reality, if you want a bland companionship, compromise will get you that. But if what you want is a dynamic, passionate, intimate marriage, then being uncompromising is the way to create that. Thus, my book's title, Uncompromising Intimacy. But I want to explain myself because sometimes when people hear the word uncompromising, it sounds like, oh, you'll always get your own way. It'll never be other than you desire it to be. That is not what I mean. When you think of compromise, it's really holding back your desires, your fears, your celebrations. It's holding back whatever is happening inside you because you think that if you say it to your spouse, they will be uncomfortable. So you hold back so as not to make them uncomfortable or to deal with the consequences of that. So when I'm talking about being uncompromising, I'm talking about learning how to bring all of who you are to your relationship and share it with your partner in such a way that they can hear it. Because even if you don't get your own way, you get to feel seen and appreciated for who you truly are. And we really have an epidemic of relationships informed by compromise and whether it's in which restaurant you go to or what kind of shoes you're wearing or where you live or how much you work or don't work, there are all these ways in which so often both men and women accommodate their spouses and really just saying their truth and being able to navigate things with both people knowing all there is to know on the matter, that's what contributes to emotional intimacy, sensual intimacy, and passion. And so my book is about that and then very specific step-by-step -step ways to create uncompromising intimacy in your relationship. Wow, that's excellent. So I'm actually going to go out and buy that myself. I think that's excellent. Oh, tell me what you think of it. I, I look forward to hearing. I will. I will. So any last pearls or anything you'd like to our, you know, have our listeners know and uh, or, you know, anything you want to leave us with? Yeah, I think when someone is listening to a podcast about sex or relationships, it's very easy to think, oh, that's not where I am. Like, that sounds amazing, but that's way beyond what's available to me. And I really want to say very clearly that wherever you are, it's just a question of what's the next way that you can open up? 
Is it identifying desires when you haven't before? Is it asking questions? Is it exploring something sexual, just being more present during sex? The point is, this is not a zero to a hundred kind of evolution. It's step by step. Everything can get better. Excellent. Well, thank you so much. So I really appreciate you coming on and thank you so much, Dr. Stockwell. And um, well, I am done here and it's been real and really intimate. And remember, this is not meant to be any type of medical advice. So if you're having any health issues, please see your healthcare provider. And until next time, this is the Muslim Sex Podcast. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to schedule a one-on-one coaching with Dr. Lodi, please visit drsadaf.com. And until next time, this is the Muslim Sex Podcast.